Good morning again. My name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Excited to uh, share with you today a little bit about uh, from the book of Acts. You know, I was talking with someone yesterday, and they asked, uh, I told them I was preaching, and they said, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, we're still in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 11. They said, we're still on Acts? I said, yes, we are still on Acts. We're not even halfway done. Uh, But it's been great, I think, for us as a church to take a look at the early church as a model for why we do church today. And, you know, some things look the same and some things look different than several thousands of years ago. Uh, But the purpose and the reason for why we uh, participate in this way is the same. So we're going to be talking some about that today. We've already taken a look at some of the early challenges of the church, some of the threats against its very existence. We've looked at and celebrated some of the successes. And we're going to take a look at a passage that Randy talked about last week. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But if we can remember way back, several months ago, back to August, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we have begun to see how Jerusalem is the epicenter The beginning of the church was in Jerusalem, and now we see that beginning to spread throughout the regions. The last great link in the spread of the church, the evangelism, was taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And so we pick right up where Randy left off last week, with the gospel reaching the first group of Gentiles. Now, maybe you remember, maybe you were here, maybe you've studied this before. Do we remember who the first person who was a Gentile to receive the good news of Jesus? Well, his name was Cornelius. And his whole household was saved. It was truly groundbreaking. God had used Peter to take the message of the gospel to this family. But in a much broader sense, we see that Peter took the message to the entire world. And you and I are the beneficiaries of that for those of us who choose to turn towards Jesus. The gospel has reached millions and billions of people And we're going to see it continue into the future of this world. And so in Acts chapter 11, we see now it's time for Peter to go back to Jerusalem and to tell the early church, report to them what had happened. He knew it was not going to be a good conversation. He knew it was not going to be an easy conversation. I mean, just a few days and weeks earlier, Peter himself found it impossible for Gentiles to become part of the church. But God had given him a special vision and prepared his heart for this radical shift. Meanwhile, his brothers in Christ had not received this vision yet, and Peter was once again the vehicle to take it to them. They were still locked into the church's early traditions. It was narrow, it was exclusive, it was Jewish-oriented and not ethnically open. They had not yet received the benefit of what Peter had seen, and so it was going to be a hard conversation. You know, there's something quite unique about this chapter. If you look at Acts chapter 11, at least the first 18 verses, which is what we're going to look at today. It's a repetition of what we see in Acts chapter 10, almost verbatim. And I can't think of another place in scripture where two things are said exactly the same back to back, one chapter after another. And if you stop and think about the writer of Acts, Luke, he had a lot that he could have said about the early church. And he did 28 chapters. We see a lot about the early church. But he chose to repeat 
in back-to-back chapters the story of Cornelius and Peter. And why? Why is that? Obviously, there was something that Peter or Luke wanted us to know about the early church. There's something that God wants us to, to know about the early church. This was a significant event in the life of the church. It's actually shared a total of three times. And we know that clearly God is telling his followers to listen up. So today we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, and then break down why this section of scripture is so important for us even today. We'll start in verse 1. I'm going to be reading from New Living Translation. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and you even ate with them, they said. And so it's interesting that the news had gone back to Jerusalem before Peter could go back there himself. And these believers had already started forming their preconceived notion about what was happening. They were already getting their defenses up. You could say, well, didn't they know about Jesus' words that I read earlier from Acts 1-8, how the word and the message is going to spread throughout the region? So if they were really in tune with that, wouldn't this make sense to them? But you have to remember, this was an exclusive, small part of Judaism, and they believed that first, in order to have salvation, you must become a Jew. You must be circumcised first. The physical act of circumcision was a requirement before salvation. They didn't object to Peter's preaching to the Gentiles, but his going into the house of Cornelius and eating with them, violating his supposed obligations as a Jew. In that Mideastern culture, to eat with a person was equal to becoming one with them, which is why a Jew would never eat with a Gentile. This is the same complaint you might remember in Luke 5.30 that the Pharisees had made against Jesus when he ate with tax collectors and sinners. And so we read that the Jewish believers were criticizing him, or if you read more closely in the original text, a heated argument began. They really hassled him, and they hassled him repeatedly. And so I want you to consider how Peter responds, because he's walking into this storm. He's got all kinds of options. I mean, he can dismiss them. He could call out these Jewish believers. He could defend himself, or he could pull rank. He could say, hey, you guys, cut it out. Don't you know who I am? I'm Peter. I was given the keys to this kingdom. What I open, nobody shuts. He could have pulled rank, and he had rank to pull. Well, let's see how he responds in verse 4. Then Peter told them exactly what had happened. I was in the town of Joppa, he said, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. When I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles, and birds. So how does Peter respond? He just tells them the facts. He explains what happened. And you know why? Because the issue explained itself. Now, you may remember, if you were with us last week, Randy talked about this very same vision. Remember, it's repeated from Acts chapter 10 into Acts chapter 11. What Peter saw was a sheet coming down from heaven with all sorts of animals, wild animals, reptiles, birds. Remember in Israel that certain animals were clean and certain animals were unclean, and they could never be mixed. Remember that's why Peter had never eaten bacon until this happened? 
So unclean and clean animals were pictures of Gentiles and Jews, and some might believe that the sheet coming down was a vision of the church. And so what Peter was seeing was a representation of the church mixing Gentiles and Jews together for the first time. Let's continue in verse 7. And I heard a voice say, Get up, Peter, and eat with kill and eat with them. No, Lord, I replied, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. This happened three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up to heaven. The Jewish listeners would have certainly identified with the statement made by Peter, and this would add credibility to his story. I mean, he had wrestled with the same prejudice and traditions that they were now wrestling with, but he had overcome them to the spread of the gospel. Now, you may say this is showing how stubborn Peter was, that God had to tell him something three times in order for him to understand it. First, I couldn't see it. Then I wouldn't see it. But now I see it clearly. And sometimes it takes us three times, four times, five times. I can think about my kids and how many times it takes them to listen. But it also makes me think maybe we should preach on this next week as well. If God's really wanting us to get this, third time's a charm, right? But God gave Peter this vision, very clear. Jews and Gentiles together included in the church, something brand new, a whole fantastic new concept. And because Peter said this happened three times, the Jews realized there was something monumental that was going on. Let's continue verse 11. Just then three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompany me, and soon we entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. Cornelius's name is not mentioned in Acts chapter 11 here, but remember it is mentioned in Acts chapter 10. So Cornelius had sent for them. And Peter obeyed the Spirit and met these Gentiles at Cornelius' house. Who did he bring with him? Did he go alone? No, he brought six Jewish friends with him, and they all go together, which is very important because if you go back to the Torah, two or three witnesses were required to establish authority over a matter. Peter knew this was the Spirit's leading, but he had to put it to the test. He had brought along triple the number necessary. He wanted the testimony of others to confirm his own. If you notice the phrase, we entered into the house. So it's not just Peter who's acting, but it's the six other Jewish brothers who broke the barrier, crossing over the doorstep and entering this Gentile man's home. Now, those who were listening to Peter might have been surprised that Peter would admit that he actually did this, that he entered the home of a Gentile and ate with them, something that was prohibited by Jewish custom and tradition. Yet Peter was careful to add that before he ever entered the man's home, an angel was standing in his house, which meant it was okay for an angel to go into his home. It was also okay for Peter to enter as well. So they entered Cornelius' home, and the text said that Cornelius had this vision too, which told him to go out and send messengers to get Peter. So the Spirit says, Peter, you go to Cornelius' house. And the Peter says, Cornelius, you go fetch Peter. And the Spirit is working this thing together. And he will tell you the words by which you and your house 
shall be saved. So Cornelius was a ready heart. He was a prepared man, and so was his household. And Peter was the instrument that they needed to bring the message that they waited to hear. Let's continue in verse 15. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them. On who? On the Gentiles. Just as he fell on us, the Jews, at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So here, Peter is describing the first time that the Gentiles received the word of God. And Peter was preaching the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit fell on them, signifying their being baptized with the Holy Spirit, just like what? Just like when that happened to the Jews on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people accepted. The beginning of the church created. Peter may have been aware of John's words where we read about the fact that Jesus baptized with water, you will be baptized with, John baptized with water, Jesus, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But without question, he refers to Acts 1, 5 here. He remembers the word of the Lord. Jesus' prophetic promise to the Jews was fulfilled on Pentecost. This was the second way that he was testing the Spirit's leading. The first way was with testimonies of others. The second way was the fact that Jesus foresaw this development happening. This was the word of Jesus. And if God gave the Gentiles the same gift to the Holy Spirit that he gave the apostles, then they should all back up and pay attention. God's intention was always to reach beyond the Jewish people and reach out to a Gentile world that also so desperately needed the light of Jesus. So by remembering the word of the Lord, they were able to put it into proper scriptural perspective. Verse 18 is an important lesson for us today. If we could put that last slide back up. To remember the word of the Lord, that Peter thought of the Lord's words. How well do you know the word of the Lord? How much less trouble would our lives be in if we would remember the word of the Lord? What better guide would we have in our life if we would just remember the word of the Lord? How much more at peace would our hearts be? How much would our priorities be in tune with God's kingdom if we would remember the word of the Lord? Maybe we believe that the, that the Lord's word is true and that he acts according to his word, but do we allow that to shape our lives? Do we allow that to shape our priorities in the way that we use our time and the way that we invest our money? God has given us the ultimate measuring stick with his word if we choose to listen. Verse 17, and since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Now, what was this gift again that Peter is referring to? The gift was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falling on the Gentiles. Acts 10.45, Luke says that all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Previously, the Holy Spirit was a gift only given to the Jewish or circumcised believers, but now the same gift is given to anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody gets the same Holy Spirit in the same way. He's a gift. He's given. He's not earned. That reminds me of a tattoo that a certain Kentucky basketball player has on his chest that says, earn, not given. It's backwards. It's given, not earned. 
Every believer who has the same Holy Spirit given to those who believe. Believing in this context indicates that the Gentiles believed in their hearts, not just their heads. The same goes for us too. We have to intellectually hear the truth, hear the gospel message, but if that's all that happens to us, then all that we possess is an intellectual faith. Head knowledge of Christ never saved anyone. We must believe in our own heart. It's a belief shown to be genuine by the bringing forth of good works, by bearing fruit. The old Peter was the kind of guy who would make his plans and suggest them to Jesus. Now Peter is of the mentality that he wants to see what God is doing and get in line with that. How would he know what God was doing? Well, he would know by prayer, by circumstances, by evidence of the Holy Spirit, and especially by remembering the word of the Lord. What a change in mentality that is. Maybe we're the type of people that expect God to be an actor in our play, and we get a chance to write the play, or we think we get to write the play, and we ask God, we give God the lines, maybe he's the leading role, but we're telling God kind of what we want to happen in our lives. You know, Peter has spent enough time trying to make Jesus do what he thought was important. Now he's letting Jesus set his agenda. I encourage us to act in the same way. What if we allow God to write the script and we become the instrument in his great play instead of the other way around? Peter and his followers of Jesus were learning this. And so Peter says, there I was, guys. What was I supposed to do? Who was I to get in God's way? Let me remind you, it's best not to get in God's way. Who am I to hinder God or to think I could oppose God? There I was watching the Gentiles getting baptized by the Spirit. What could I do? Don't blame me. If you don't like it, call up to heaven. The men of the circumcision in the Jerusalem church had been effectively checkmated by the Holy Spirit. They must have looked at each other and looked at Peter and Peter's witnesses standing by. It was a large and bitter pill to swallow. 2,000 years of growing Jewish prejudice against Gentiles had to be gulped down. But it was evident. Even to the most narrow, most exclusive of them, there was nothing that they could say against Peter. His story was evidently an account of God's clear leading. The conclusions he had reached were undeniable. Cornelius and the Gentiles had been accepted by God as equal heirs of the grace of God, first-class citizens in the kingdom and fellow members of the body of Christ. Sometimes we may ask ourselves if something is from God. Peter was saying, do you know why I knew this testimony is true and from God? Number one, six other guys saw what I saw. Number two, it passed the test of Scripture. Activity alone isn't enough to validate a work of God. It must also be in line with God's Word. And this work among the Gentiles passed both tests. And so we come to verse 18, the last verse of this section. It says, When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. What had they heard? Peter's recounting of the divine vision. 
The Spirit's instruction, the effect of the gospel, and the evidence of the gospel reception by the Gentiles. Some translations in this section say that they became still and silent, like a tranquility or a peace of mind. You can be sure that the wheels were turning inside their heads and inside their hearts, and now they understood that God was rearranging all of the traditions. The hearts of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were soft enough to be guided and corrected by God. That's a glorious thing. When God's people will allow their prejudices, their traditions to be overcome by God's word and God's work, their objections were answered, and they gave glory to God. God had given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life, just like he had given to the Jewish people. This passage makes it clear that repentance is spirit-energized, not self-energized, something God has granted. They could tell that God was at work among those Gentiles because in some way, repentance to life was evidence. Remember, Cornelius was a good guy someone who prayed, someone who sought after God, someone who contributed financially to the work of God. So what did Cornelius have to repent of? Well, I don't know all that he had to repent of, but I can tell you one thing, is that he had to repent of not trusting Jesus as his Savior. Whatever he was doing before, whatever he was putting his trust in, he had to turn away from that and turn toward Jesus. That's what Peter Peter preached to them. He let them know that if you put your trust in Jesus— You will be saved. They had to demonstrate repentance and also recognize that God gives the privilege of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, leads to a change of heart, leads to a change of action and behavior. Repentance is to do an about face and attitude which affects one's lifestyle and produces a hatred of sin. And we have not preached the whole gospel if we've not preached that repentance, as well as believing in Christ, for one to be truly saved. We must call upon men, women, children to surrender their minds and wills to Jesus and to repent of their sins. And by the way, I'm not just saying that for those of us who have not made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm saying this to every person listening today. Repentance is a word for the church as well. We need to constantly be turning away from the sins that we hold on to. We need to turn toward the Lord. Repentance is a thing granted by God, whether or not it feels like that in the moment. Understanding that God grants repentance gives us an urgency to repent. And so I hope that through this message, the Spirit is stirring your heart this morning. And maybe for you, it's a repentance of turning and putting your trust in Jesus. Maybe for you, it's repenting of some sin that God is calling out in your life. But maybe you're sitting there and you're wrestling with this sin, wrestling with this opportunity to repent. And I can imagine the enemy is wanting to say, don't do it today. You can always do that later. But if you're feeling this gift of repentance stirring up today, I encourage you to repent. And remember from verse 18, what is it repentance to? It's not repentance to boredom or misery or death, it's repentance to life, eternal life. So this whole thing, this whole story with Cornelius and Peter finally comes back to Jerusalem. They make the great admission that was really the firing of the trigger that shot the church out to reach the Gentiles. And you 
and I are the products. They were sent. But before they'd ever go to the Gentiles, they'd have to believe that the salvation was also for the Gentiles. Peter convinced them because Peter had been convinced by God. The Jews had been locked in on the fact that that's what it was supposed to be. This whole concept of getting it out into the world was a monumental shift in the life of the church. The whole group of first Christians were Jews, and they tended to kind of grind inwardly. So I can understand why Luke is writing this repeatedly. The whole concept so that we might understand what a milestone this is along the road to the church to evangelize the world. And while the seeds of this new mission were certainly planted, we'll see again in Acts 15 that there were still plenty of people who weren't so sure that this was the correct way to go. A once and for all resolution was coming. You'll have to keep following along with us as we continue to move through the book of Acts together. So we've taken a look line by line at the text. We've worked through the context and implications of what Luke wrote. But what does this mean for us, the local church in Versailles, Kentucky, in 2023? Well, I think it has profound implications, not only for us, but for the future church that is to come, for the future generations, for our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. This is a guitar string. Now, I've taken an interest in learning how to play the guitar. I'm not musically inclined. I tried to have a lesson, and it hurt my fingers, so I stopped. But this is a guitar string. And I feel like I have to tell you that this is a guitar string to give you the context for its creation. See, there's a lot of strings in the world with a lot of different uses. But this one was created with the definitive purpose. The interesting thing about this guitar string is it did not come connected to the thing it was designed for. It's free. Can we all agree it's free? It responds when I twirl it. You see, the challenging thing about this string is that in order for it to reach its full potential and understand its full purpose, it has to be connected. See, I can think of a lot of different uses for this string. I have three kids at home and an affinity to Reese cup bars that are in the pantry. And if I needed just a few minutes alone to eat some Reese cup, I could think of a way to utilize this. But in order for it to reach its full potential, it must be connected to something greater than itself in order to operate to the full potential of its design. And Dan is nice enough to show us a little bit about that design. Very good. Much better than I could ever do. (laughs) See, so many of us want autonomy want freedom and not attachment because we feel like if we're attached, then it limits us, but it actually liberates us in our purpose. I've learned a little bit that this is called the headstock of a guitar, and this is called the body. In Ephesians 1, Paul says that God has made Christ the head 
of the church, which is his body. In order for the string of the guitar to understand its full design, it must be connected to both the head and the body. See, much of Christianity or spirituality today is some of us saying, I'll be connected here, but not here. I want to be connected to God because we got our own thing going on. But I don't want to be connected to the body, which is his church. As we're reading through Acts, we see that the early church was going through something that's required in order for a string of a guitar to be played, and that would be tension. We see in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 10, all throughout the book of Acts, that the church was living in tension, dealing with some of these issues that are coming up. And some of us don't want attachment to this and or this because we're not safe, we're not comfortable, we're scared of the tension that it may create in our lives. I don't want to show up and have to give something. I don't want to have to sacrifice my own preferences. I don't want to lay down my needs for the needs of others. I don't want to have to be challenged to think beyond myself. I don't want to have to repent and give up the sins that I love. There are things about the church that I don't love. We don't like the tension. But if you're willing to put your life in tension, to be connected here and here, we realize that a song can be played in our life. But something can happen all too quickly if we're not careful. And that is that our life can easily go out of tune. Doesn't sound right. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can be connected here and here, but not being led by the Spirit. And we can go out of tune. See, the Holy Spirit is so vital to a believer's walk. It's so important to commit ourselves to being in the Word daily, to commit ourselves to praying and listening to the Father, to being with other believers as often as we can so that we can encourage one another, we can teach one another, we can caution one another, and we can point one another to Jesus. If we're not connected, if we're not held in tension, if we're not guided by the Holy Spirit, how are we going to know when we're going out of tune? How then can we be guided back into the right path? We have the Holy Spirit. He's given us what we need in order to stay in tune, which will sound much better. One of the thing, a final thing about this guitar string is it's one of six on the guitar, each with its own unique note to play, each with its own piece of the puzzle. There are components, part of the guitar, that are needed in order for music to be played. Later on in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us that we are all part of Christ's body, the church. What if we were all willing to play our part? It's going to require sacrifice. That's going to require us putting down what we think we deserve for the needs of others. What if we were comfortable being connected to the thing that God's calling us to? not fighting over the gifts that we have versus the gifts that others have? What if we made space and celebrated the gifts of others? What if we came to church and participated with our church looking to see what we could give rather than to see what we could get? 
One of the problems that I believe is happening in our culture and in the church is that we've elevated individualism to the highest value. We want what we want instead of wanting what God wants. We want to climb a ladder of success, which ultimately typically builds a prison of loneliness, dissatisfaction, and we call it success. We've created too many choices, too many options, too much individualism. We run around ragged, making sure our car is gassed up for anything but this. We make excuses that we're too busy to participate in a group. We make excuses that we have to travel or we have to work. We can't show up to help serve or to help attend. Look around you. There's people all around you that need you and what you have to give to the kingdom. But here's the cool thing. We need each other as well. It's not just about what you can give and pour and pour and pour out. How are you receiving as well? So the continual pursuit of things of this world are going to pass away. But the things of God will last forever. This is what the early church was learning. The tension that they were feeling. The repentance that Peter and Jesus were calling them to. See, everyone was a resource at that time. Everyone was scaffolding to make sure that they got what they felt they deserved. The same is true for us as well. This church has a mission of moving people on a simple journey towards Jesus, has a purpose of loving God and loving others and making disciples who make disciples. I think that's our greatest purpose, to glorify God. And that's how we do it. I just ask you to examine your heart today. Remember the words of God. Remember the words of the Lord. And if there's something that you need to repent of, whether that's sin, whether that's pride, whether that's some of your priorities, I pray that you would deal with that today. You can do that at your seat. You can do that at home with your family. You can do that wherever you are. We'll also have some folks up here who would love to pray through that with you. If you're looking to repent of something today, which we all are, if you're bold enough to step forward, we would love to pray with you through that. Can I pray for us? Dear Father, this is a important lesson for the church to hear. An example of the early church going through a radical shift. Father, you're teaching us as we're going through this study of the book of Acts, the things that are important, the things that the early church devoted themselves to, to the breaking of bread, to the apostles' teaching, to the giving of of their resources for others, to spending time together, Father. Some of us have it out of whack right now. God, the gift of repentance is here for us today. Whether it's sin that we're holding on to, whether it's priorities in our life, whether it's not being connected fully to the head, which is Jesus, and to the body, which is the church, to living in tension with other believers, Father, I pray all of us would be examining ourselves today and be willing to take a step towards you. I pray that as a church, we could come alongside one another and help point one another to your son, Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.